Hey, we're back. Didn't get canceled. One episode, and we didn't get canceled. So this show is already success in my mind. It's the Believe in Jayhawk show on the Believe Podcast Network, which is the number one podcast network for professionals. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I believe. Okay, you just had a pretty good week. Pretty good weekend, right? And welcome back in, everybody. This is Jonas Nordman. I apologize. I'm a little sniffly. I probably sound a little bit clogged up. No, I don't have the coronavirus. Shout out to all you bros out there who somehow related it to the corona beer. I've got a coronavirus. <laughs> I just drink too many coronas. You're not funny. But yes, I'm a, Oh, shoot. Actually, I did go to Asia over winter break. Oh, well, it's been nice knowing you. Two and done. But hey, thanks for tuning in while I'm still here. This And this will be a really great episode. Quick little recap of what happened between Tennessee and Kansas. And then the Oklahoma State game from Big Monday. I will tell you who I believe is the most important player on this Kansas team. And we have our first guest today. It's Nick Schwartz. Out of Lawrence, 1320 KLWN, that is the flagship station for the Jayhawks in the great state of Kansas, in beautiful Lawrence, Kansas. So if there's anyone who, who knows what he, they're talking about, it's Nick. And again, sorry, my brain's sort of farting around, clouded by sickness. But let's get right back into it, shall we? I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to Marcus Garrett for the game he had against Oklahoma State. KU sort of scrapped by against Tennessee over the weekend. It was the first game after the brawl, and I'm not going to do too much looking back at what happened. I know last week in my angry diatribe, I said, hashtag, no more than five games for Silvio DeSosa. Well, he got 12. <laughs> so uh, I guess the Big 12 and Commissioner Bowlesby doesn't listen to this show. Not yet. McCormick got two games. His suspension is now finished. And, I mean, who cares about the K-State suspensions? So, scrap by against Tennessee blowout against Oklahoma State, and and real quickly, I want to point out what I'm calling the Draymond Green type of game that Marcus Garrett had. So let me explain for a second. Draymond Green, and this is more so the Warriors and Draymond like the last four years, not necessarily the Warriors of this year, injured, banged up, not good. But you'd check the box score, and Steph Curry would have his like 36 Kevin Durant would have his, like, 45. But Draymond, and you would watch the game, and he's just doing a little bit of everything, right? By the end of the game, maybe he doesn't have a triple-double, but Draymond's got maybe, like, nine points, ten rebounds, seven assists, guarding, like, four different players in one possession. I I like to call Draymond Green the straw that mixed the drink of those Golden State Warriors teams the last couple years. And I I think the box score... For Marcus Garrett against Oklahoma State was indicative. Now, keep in mind, second half, Devon Dotson, the starting point guard, the number one player in the Ken Palm, the Ken Pomeroy, but Ken Palm for short, he's the number one ranked player for Player of the Year awards. And that we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Ken Pomeroy, sort of the king of the bat, college basketball analytics. But Marcus Garrett stepped in. He was the de facto point guard in the second half. And his numbers were this, seven points, eight rebounds, nine assists, seven, eight, nine. Why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. (laughs) Take that back to elementary school. So again, 
you, you might take a look at that box score and say, Marcus Garrett, eh, bit player, didn't really do much. But you can't tell me you didn't watch that game against Oklahoma State and say, well, this guy is very important. This guy is very influential. So I just want to give a little shout out, and we'll, we'll keep some track of the Draymond games, if you will, for Marcus Garrett going forward. But is he the most important player for Kansas? And before I get going, I, I quickly want to throw this in there. If you are interested, by the way, in sponsoring and advertising on the Believe in Jayhawks show, contact Believe. It's that simple. Just go to Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. If you have any opinions, if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm right, if you have a question for the show, tweet me at JoeNasty90. J-O-N-A-S-T-Y 90. That's on Twitter. So who's the most important player? Devon Dotson's number one in Ken Palm's rankings. He should be the player of the year, apparently, analytically. I just waxed poetic about how Marcus Garrett is perhaps the most influential player for Kansas, the X Factor. The team needs Isaiah Moss's three-point shooting. They need Christian Brown's tenacity and his three-point shooting. If he's going to hit, like, those long-range, precocious shots like he did against Oklahoma State. What a future. That's sort of a game-changer for this team. But he's not the most important player. That is probably the star and the starter that you have now figured out that I haven't mentioned yet, is Yudoka Azabuki. I've got some numbers for you here. I've got some eye tests. Of course, the numbers that jump out right away are, you saw the win-loss with and without him on the broadcast on Monday. The winning percentage is up around the 800s when he plays. They're basically a 500 program the last four years when Yudoka Azabuki does not play. There's the simple numbers. He shoots 78% from the field because he doesn't shoot more than two feet away from the basket. On track, I believe, still for the highest shooting percentage, highest career shooting percentage in NCAA history, around 80%. All dunks, that'll do it. The, the points per game don't necessarily jump off the page at you. 12.8 points per game, 9.5 rebounds per game. I think he's around three to four blocks. And I'm going to start there with the blocks and his nimble footwork and his conditioning. We all remember him as a freshman. Brick wall, although not necessarily in terms of solidity. Big, puffy, just a mass of humanity. He's dropped some major poundage and... He is the key defensively. If they're going to play four guards, teams, and it's recommended, will be pick and rolling him all day long, and he's nimble. His footwork is excellent. He has made life difficult for any point guard or any guard whatsoever that comes around to pick and roll and thinks, oh, we've got Yudoka as a buki. I should be able to drive right by him. Not so fast, my friend. I remember the Dayton game, the championship game in Maui. I think it was, what, the end of overtime? Drove... They did get by him, but his recovery, he blocked a shot. He makes life difficult. Sometimes you try to go into his body, he gets in front of you, so you take a contested three-point shot. So on the pick and roll and just on defense as a whole, if you will, he is vital, the rim protector. I mentioned the blocks per game. Now, you don't believe me? That's just eye test? That's just opinion? Well, I've got the raw numbers, baby. Hear that? That's stats. Thank you to C.J. Moore of The Athletic for these numbers. And these numbers are going into the Saturday game against Tennessee. So this is when they had David McCormack. This is when they had Silvio DeSosa still available. But the defense with Udoka on the floor, 
allowed 0.78 points per possession. You say, is that a good number? I can't tell. I don't know these analytic numbers. So here are the numbers without Yudoka Azabuki on the floor. Those points per possession jump up to 0.92. So pretty darn close to a point per possession without Azabuki on the floor. I think that probably resonates a little bit better with the people as opposed to these whatever numbers. Let me jump to the Tennessee game as it was being played. The plus minus stat is not an exact science, but it does tell the story sometimes. And on Saturday, this past Saturday, it told the whole story. Yudoka Azabuki's plus minus number was plus 19, meaning the team was 19 points better than Tennessee when he was on the floor. Kansas jumps out to a lead. Then he picks up a foul. He sits down. Tennessee went on a 14-2 run. What was the guy's name? Eve Pons? Y-V-E-S? Eve St. Laurent? Beautiful Frenchman. Was killing the team. Tennessee takes the lead. I think they led by about seven points or so. 14-2 run. So Bill Self looks to Yudoka Azubuki. Says, get in there. Fix this. He comes in. Kansas takes a 12-0 lead. Or goes on a 12-0 run. Takes the lead going into half. Sort of didn't really look back from there. It got a little iffy, partly because he had to sit in the second half with foul trouble. What was then a six-point lead turned into a three-point game. Came back in, hits a couple free throws. Go figure, right? 40% free throw shooter. Kansas wins. Plus 19 versus Tennessee. And then I've just got the eye test. And I'll get this in here quickly because we've got Nick Schwartz coming on in just a second. So the eye test against Oklahoma State. It was clear as day. When he was in the game, Oklahoma State didn't even bother sniffing the paint. Well, that's not a good way to put it. No one should bother sniffing paint. But in terms of the basketball sense, you want to be next to the basket. You want to drive. You want to draw fouls. You want easier buckets. You want to be around the basket, much like what Azabuki does offensively. Dunks, layups, right? When he wasn't in there, oh, by all means, clear path to the basket all day. But when Yudoka was in the game, Contested twos, stupid threes. The offense looked terrible for Oklahoma State when Azubuki was in the game. And on the other side, when Kansas had the ball, I know he didn't necessarily have the numbers that pop off. He only had six points against Oklahoma State. But that zone that OSU was playing was sagging off just a little bit more. Kansas had some more open three-point looks. And you saw it. So when Devon Dotson wasn't even in the game in the second half, they still went on the run to end the game and to win the game because Azubuki was in the game. Christian Brown, Isaiah Moss, Ochai Agbaji, they had open three-point looks, and it all sort of flowed from there. And he got his dunks. So let, let's bring in our guest. He is the host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on 1320 KLWN. You can hear him, well, every day basically, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 Central Time. I think the last time I spoke with him, he also mentioned you can find him at Johnny's West, but he can correct me on that. He's a man of the people. He's got the boots on the ground in <laughs> Lawrence, Kansas. He is Nick Schwert. Nick, appreciate it. You are guest number one on the Believe in Jayhawks podcast. I really appreciate it, man. How are things going? Hey, it's good. Thank you for having me on. And I just want to clarify from the jump here that <laughs> while I have been known to frequent Johnny's West. I don't want to play favorites with any of the local watering holes in sure. Lawrence. 
and you went to school here, so you're familiar with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't play favorites, Jonas. I, I like to frequent many different places. So Johnny's West is one of them, but it, it's not, uh, they don't have exclusive rights over my drinking habits yet. First of all, I know you're a man of the people, so that makes sense. I, I can appreciate that. And just because I went there, Nick, you insinuate that I know all those places. But <laughs> yes, I am familiar. Anyways, yeah, okay. let's, let's get to what the people truly care about. And that's the Hawks. Uh, so we're just about midway through conference play. I think they got one more game right until it's officially uh, midway in Big 12 play. But, and I apologize for the overarching pretty broad question here, but as we sit here late Jan- January, almost to the Super Bowl, what's sort of your feel for the team as expected? Any surprises? Uh, what are you thinking about the, the squad so far? No, I actually I kind of like the, the broad question because – <laughs> you know, I talk about KU every day, five days a week. And when you do that, you get really deep into the weeds sometimes. And you do a lot of micro analyzing. And sometimes it's good to take a step back and reevaluate the big picture, which oddly enough, I was doing just yesterday on the show. And we kind of talked about how um, we, we've known all year that this team has been led. I mean, even before the season, when you had Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azubuki popping up on these preseason watch lists, these all-American sort of list, you knew all year that those two guys were going to lead the way. And the question from the beginning of the season was, who are the other guys who are going to step up? And mm-hmm. as we are about halfway through conference play, I think the big picture look at this team is that there's not going to be a, a third musketeer, so to speak, right? I think that you've got two of the top 10 players in the country and you look at some of their raw numbers, and maybe they wouldn't necessarily indicate that. For Yudoka, the scoring doesn't necessarily jump out at you. For Devon, a point guard, the assist numbers don't jump out at you. They're only combining for about 28 points a game in conference play, which is good. It's not otherworldly. But the impact that they have on a game is so tremendous that on any given night, all KU is essentially asking for is for one other guy to step up and kind of pick up the table scraps, right? They're going to do a lion's share of the work. One other guy scores 10 to 15 points. Most nights that's going to be enough because their defense is playing at such an elite level. I haven't felt this good about a KU team since uh, Frank Mason's senior year, 2017. And oddly enough, I didn't feel as good about the team the next year, which ended up actually going to the final four. But um, I think if KU fans would remember that that season, you didn't have the same confidence going into the tournament. They just happened to go on a tremendous run. But I think this is as good of a KU team as Bill Self's had in the past three years. They are complete both ends of the court. I think this is the best defense he's had in probably the last five years, thanks in large part to Marcus Garrett and Yudoka Azubuki, who at their positions might be two of the best defenders in the country. And when you start there and you think about how efficient this team plays offensively, I just think they are incredibly well-rounded and it's tough to not be excited about uh, what they could possibly do in March. I'm glad you brought up that point about Marcus Garrett. I've got a bit of a hot take with Marcus Garrett that I want to run by you. uh, You you want to get to it right now? Fine. So yeah, let's do it. Come on. All right. All right, Nick, calm your boots. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm already controlling the show. Sorry. No, no, no. Look, that's why I bring you on. You're the man. I posed this question to my friends during the Oklahoma State game because it got to blow out territory in the second half, right? 
and you start to sort of wonder, even the broadcasts got into sort of storyline mode where they weren't even focusing on the game, right? So I said, mm-hmm. is Marcus Garrett the best defensive player that Bill Self has had? Mm. So here's, at That's least from tough. my experience, here's the guys that match up with them. To me, Russ Robb, Russell Robinson, Mario Chalmers, I thought Travis Relliford turned into an elite defender by the end of his career and was sort of in that same level as Garrett as a perimeter defender. And then I, I said Brady Morningstar and Jeff Withy being the best defensive big man I've seen other than, you know, like Anthony Davis. Those are the guys I thought. Yeah, it's, them. well, I think, you, I think those are the guys. It's tough to, like, compare a wing to a big man just because of what they're asked to do. And I think in a lot of cases, big men have more opportunity to showcase their defensive prowess mm-hmm. just by blocking shots, right? If, if, you're a, if you're a wing like Marcus Garrett, he's not going to get most of his production by getting rejections. He's going to do it by getting steals or getting deflections. And mm-hmm. you're not going to – you're just by design. You're, you're not going to have a player who's averaging three, four steals a game like Udoka is in this instance for blocks or like Jeff Withy did his junior and senior seasons. So. When I think of defensive players in the Bill Self, the first guy I always think of is Jeff Withy. It's the first guy because yeah. he went basically two years as being um, the best defensive presence in college basketball. So I don't necessarily think that that means that he's automatically going to be better than, than Marcus Garrett or his impact is greater because at his position, which is I think how we should have this discussion, at his position, I don't think Bill Self has had a player that is a more sound defender than Marcus Garrett. So I think you might be onto something. The reason I maybe even gave the edge to Garrett when I was thinking about it initially is the versatility, right? Jeff Withy, pure center. Yeah. We saw during the – remember those Mizzou games uh, against the, the – what was it? Kim English. Uh, was it Denman? I can't remember. But yeah, he was essentially rendered useless by those four-guard lineups, whereas Marcus Garrett, of course, is playing one through four, one through five, depending – on the teams that KU goes up against. Topic for debate, as you said, it's apples and oranges sometimes, but I love watching the guy play. Uh, we're talking yeah, to Nick I mean, Schwartz. It, go ahead, Nick. Well, I, I was just going to say that the versatility that Marcus brings to the table is unmatched. Um, when I think back to Withy, it was so incredible the year they went to the Final Four, and it was like every third or fourth shot that was being – this is a real number – Every third or fourth shot that was being taken inside the arc against KU was getting blocked by Jeff Withy, <laughs> which incredible. is an absurd – I mean, it's an absurd number. And because Marcus is a wing, he's not going to be able to match that. But this defense that KU has this year I think is better than the one in 2012 because what you have when you have a rim protector is a lot of times guys on the perimeter don't feel as much pressure – to be locked in defensively because you know you've got this eraser down low who's going to clean up all your mistakes. This KU team, I mean, go through the lineup, especially if it, if it remains, and I'm sure we'll get into this, with Christian Brown starting instead of David McCormick and KU mm-hmm. going to more of these four-guard looks. You go up and down the, that roster, Devon Dotson, plus defender for his position. Ochai, plus defender. Marcus Garrett, maybe the best defender. I think Christian Brown has great defensive instincts for a freshman, and obviously Udoka is a plus defender. One through five. You have above-average defenders. I don't know if there's another team in the country that can say they have that. No, absolutely. And I, 
This is Nick Schwartz, the host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk in Lawrence, Kansas, the flagship station, right? 1320 KLWN. So That's right. he knows what he's talking about when it comes to the Hawks, Monday through Friday, three <laughs> to six. Um, I'll get to Christian Brown right now. What an impact. So heady for a freshman. But, and I'm going to defer to you on this. I remember Kirk Heinrich as, you know, a guy with goggles on the Chicago Bulls. I don't necessarily remember him during his time at KU. And naturally, Christian Brown, the, the Midwestern guy, he's an actual K- Kansas guy. Are the comparisons fair or, I got to be careful how I say this, <laughs> would you say it's just skin deep in terms of the comparisons with Christian Brown oh, and Kirk Heinrich? Oh. <laughs> Uh, at this point, a hundred percent because, and yes, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. So I'll, I'll take it for you. Um, <laughs> we have a tendency to, to shy away from cross racial comparisons in basketball. You have a, a gritty white guy. You want to compare him to another gritty white guy. But um, at this point, I mean, Kirk Heinrich went on to be one of the top players in the country, a top 10 draft pick and an incredible scorer. right? By the time he was a senior playing with uh, Nick Collison, like it, it, he was, one of the top 10 players in the country. Now, yeah. I think Christian Brown is off to an unbelievable start for him to come in as a Kansas kid on a loaded roster and not only find a way to, to become a part of this rotation, but now I think he's kind of viewed as a mainstay, like a staple in this rotation, and he might be a starter the rest of the season. So I don't know if I'm ready to go with Kirk Heinrich quite yet, but um, cause he might be a better shooter than Heinrich is. Now, Heinrich had some... I mean, he's shot like 43% from three, but Christian Brown's proving to be like the most lethal shooter on this team. So who knows? He's probably a better rebounder uh, than Kirk was. And we'll see about the defense because it's been really strong so far, but just not enough data to really make any of those comparisons quite yet. And he's probably a little better athlete than Heinrich was, but um, just in terms of the impact that he's having at, at such an early stage, it's, it's tough to kind of guard yourself when because I always do this with freshmen. I always say, let's just, let's wait and see how it goes. Right. Cause Ochai had a great stretch to start his career last year and he's yeah. kind of petered off just a little bit. No, um, so we'll see, but I, I have been really, really impressed from what I've seen from this kid. I mean, I'll say this. Have you ever seen another guard with the joy and the willingness to go stick his nose in there and, and rebound, especially on the offensive end? I, I can't remember anyone. Yeah like this yeah i mean it, and i think part of it is when you are kind of this sort of wiry white guy who's a freshman mm-hmm. people don't expect you to play like that right sure people don't expect you to go in there and be attacking the offensive glass or driving with the sort of reckless abandon that he does at times and i think that's probably one of the biggest reasons as to why he's seen the increased role is that he plays with a level of aggression that you don't always see from the other wings on Kansas. And that's not a knock towards them. I just think that some guys have that level of comfortability to jump right in, knowing that they're playing with a bunch of guys who are upperclassmen and they don't care. They know that that's how they're going to make their impact. And some guys it takes a year or two for them to get to that level of comfort. But for him, I mean, to have that right away, that's either something that you have or you don't. And he has it in spades and, uh, I, I the, the thing that I've heard most about him this year from fans is that, oh, he's going to be really good. This guy is going to be really good as a junior or senior. And I'm sitting here saying, he's really good right now. He is like, good. Yeah, I yeah. agree. He will, he will continue to get better, but 
he's already there, man. Like, he's a really special player. I mean, that, that long-range three he took against Oklahoma State on Monday, I mean, the audacity, but he took it with confidence and he drained it. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. He's already a key player on already a really good team. And I want, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier in this interview, and we are talking with Nick Schwartz of Rock Chalk Sports Talk there in Lawrence, 1320, KLWN. You said this is the most confident you felt since the Frank Mason-Josh Jackson team that went to the Elite Eight. I'm with you in terms of the defense. It's a great defensive squad. Are you – so you're, you're set when you watch this offense. You're, you're comfortable with the, the team offensively. Um, here's the – I've been going back and forth on this all year, is that the eye test would kind of indicate that maybe the offense still has some room for growth, which they do. Mm-hmm. But you look at some of the, the advanced numbers and you realize that there aren't many offenses that are playing better than KU. Now, part of that is what I think any college basketball fan has heard plenty of this year, which is that the talent is down. There's maybe not a singular great team. So the competition at the top isn't as stiff as it's been in years past, which is true. But you look at some of KU's numbers. Um, Ken Palm has them as the eighth most efficient offense in the country this year. And the big reason why is because you have the most efficient player in the country in Midoka Azabuki. Sure. And when you couple that with a guard like Devon Dotson, and this is where most of KU's offense comes from, it is Devon getting a screen either from Udoka or somebody like Marcus Garrett. So he gets past his man, or he just uses his speed to get past his man. And it's essentially one guy in between him and the bucket. And that guy is also tasked with guarding Udoka as a bookie. And when you constantly put that player in a position to make a decision to say, I'm either going to step out and contest this drive from maybe the fastest player in the country in Dotson, or... I'm going to give him an open lane so that he doesn't throw a lob to Udoka. You're constantly leveraging these defenses into making decisions. And so far, it's been incredibly effective. So I think if KU were a more consistent shooting team, nobody would have any questions about this offense. But because the shooting's been so up and down, I think you have a tendency to say, okay, this could hurt KU. But it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the, the conversation, which is that you've got two guys who are carrying a lion's share of the offensive workload. And on any given night, you're basically just looking to one guy, whether it's Marcus Garrett or Ochai or Isaiah Moss or Christian Brown, and you're saying, hey, can you guys just fill in the blanks? Because if you do, and you get that for six games in March, then that's how you get there. But that's what's scary, is that we've seen enough bad shooting nights from this team where you know that just mm-hmm. one of them could be enough to bounce you in March. And that's the case for every team. But I think when you look at the sum of its parts, um, you can nitpick and this team has room for growth, but some aspects of the offense are just going to be the way they are because of the way they're built. And taking that into consideration, I, I would still think that KU's problems are probably uh, a little smaller than a lot of the other teams who they're going to be competing with come March. Sure. It's sort of, combing through with, with a fine-tooth comb, right, uh, and a beach. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to find, like, little problems here and there. My, my whole thing with the offense is, and I've seen those same numbers, like, analytically, they're sort of offensive darlings. But it, it is the eye test for me. And tell me if I'm wrong on this. Like, take for the game against Baylor. They fell behind by 12. Baylor's an elite defensive team. And, and just my feeling sitting there was, I, just don't, I don't think they have the offensive firepower to get back into this game, which they – you know, they made their little run, as every team does, but it, it was sort of out of question by the end of the game. I, so I do worry that 
come March when the pressure's really on, and maybe they do take a haymaker from some small major or, I don't know, someone in the Elite Eight. I just don't know if they have quite the oomph, if you will, to get back into a game. They, they feel like they need to play from ahead well, and run out the clock almost. Yeah, because that, that's part of having a great defense is that you know if KU gets up 15 on you, that's basically a 25-point lead. With the mm-hmm. way that they play defense, it's tough to come back from it, from against that. But with the offense, like if we just want to compare it to, let's go to 2018, the team that went to the Final Four. And mm-hmm. this is a little unfair because that's probably the best shooting team that Bill Self's ever had at KU. But when you look at the personnel, guys like Devontae, Svee, Malik, Legerald, all of those guys at least had the ability to go and get their own shot, mm-hmm. whether that's driving and finishing at the rim or, you know, shot hunting off the dribble. You had multiple guys who, in any given scenario, and maybe the best guy in the country that year, in Devontae, at bailing you out when you needed some quick offense. And this team, from a shooting perspective, doesn't really have that. Ochai and Isaiah Moss, we thought, were going to be the two best shooters on the team. And both of those guys have basically been relegated to spot-up shooting which means they are dependent on somebody else getting them the ball when they're in position to shoot. And that's probably pretty frustrating, right? Because you don't have a point guard who's extremely adept at being a facilitator to others. Devon Dotson's not that sort of guy. Marcus Garrett's your best facilitator, and he's essentially your secondary ball handler. And that's why I think I come back to Christian Brown, is that he's not somebody who is overly reliant upon somebody's setting him up for a shot. He's got ball handling abilities that give him the confidence to put the ball in the deck and, and go and try and make a play at the rim. And that's just, I think, another element to this offense that you will hope will open up some more things for the guys on the outside. Yep. Good points all around. This is Nick Schwartz. He is the man on the ground there in Lawrence, Kansas. And this next question I really wanted to pose to you, and everyone's probably got fatigue over this by now, but with you being there, and with this being a podcast, being able to be heard uh, across the nation, hopefully, I, I do want to sort of know what was the local reaction to what happened against Kansas State with the brawl? Were people full of school pride? Was it mixed? Was it tepid? Did people not want to talk about it? What did you notice from your time being there in town? Well, Jonas, you probably know this just by because, I mean, you went to KU, you know a lot of people who are still around here and mm-hmm. follow the team. When, when this happens in college athletics, I think there's a tendency to sort of dig your feet in and just say, okay, well, how do we defend our brand? And say, well, you know, K-State sort of started it, right? That's where it all began, the yeah, conversation was, well, <laughs> K-State players shouldn't have came off the bench, they escalated it, this and that. I thought, personally, the whole situation was blown out of proportion just a little bit and Silvio holding the chair over his head had a lot to do with that if he never picks that chair up this probably doesn't become a national news story sure um I think that the the entire situation was escalated from one instance to the next like every little thing that happened there in about a 45 second span basically all of it was unnecessary and if you remove any one of those pieces from the equation it doesn't end the way that it did. So I think that's where I started was, okay, people are making too much out of this. These guys are going to get suspensions and move on. This isn't going to be some sort of cataclysmic event that changes the landscape of Kansas basketball. 
but since then I've kind of, I've kind of shifted my, my focus on it to the, the, the perspective of Bill Self, where, you know, this season he wanted a quiet year where all anybody wanted to talk about was the on the court product. Oh, did he? And I was thinking about him lo- looking at some of those pictures of him, you know, in there pulling Silvio and those guys out of the scrum. And you can just see the look on his face. And I'm, and I'm looking at those still shots of him, you know, red in the face and wondering what's going through his mind right then. And I'd have to think what was going through his mind was, you've got to be bleeping kidding me. Like another, another piece of ammunition for any Kansas detractors to use against KU. And I'm sure you read some of the national columnists. That's exactly what happened. Unfortunately, They yeah. just piled on to the negative attention that's already been brought to KU. And I'm not saying that's fair or unfair. You make your bed, you sleep in it. I'm not saying that Bill Self or KU is a victim at all. It's not what I'm saying. But I do think for Bill Self, he's got to be thinking to himself, like, can I, can I just catch a break? Can we go one month without there being another piece of, of negative information about, about this program? So um, I, I don't think that that necessarily changes how I feel about Bill Self and how long he's going to be at KU, but it just seems to keep piling on for him in what has been a, a pretty messy couple of years for KU. Interesting. Yeah, I, that's a great point. Just looking at those pictures, I mean, the perfect word for what you saw was just seething, right? Just absolute anger. Yeah. So, Nick, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this one, and I appreciate it. You've been unreal. The information's been fantastic. Listen to Nick, listen to the podcast uh, or the live stream, three to six central time every darn day of the week. What did I see that the gregarious Greg Gurley said on your show? Was it yesterday? Or by yesterday, I, I mean, uh, about, was, was it Monday, maybe? Yeah, it was Monday. It was about Monday. Dirk Nowitzki maybe being okay, a dog so, at one point? So we were a, a little bit facetious in the tweet that we sent out that day because oh, I just thought it was really funny. Aren't you a um, master of marketing? <laughs> so we were talking about Kobe Bryant, and, and I don't know if you've heard the story. He went on a podcast last year and had talked about when he was being recruited by college coaches. And he said that coach K at Duke and Roy Williams at Kansas recruited him harder than anybody else. And he actually said, I think in the interview that if he would have went to college, he probably would have went to Duke. But I was talking to Greg Gurley about that because he was at KU at the time when KU would have been recruiting him. Hmm. And Greg just kind of said just off the cuff, he goes, well, you know, Dirk Nowitzki was another guy who, who I think was almost a Kansas guy. And I had never heard that. So my follow-up was, well, what's the story there? And he immediately backtracked and said, well, I said that, and now I'm beginning to question it. So I may need to go check that out. So um, the, the Dirk to Kansas rumors, I'm not sure, are 100% accurate. But at this point, they haven't necessarily been disputed by Dirk himself. himself. So until True. Dirk True. comes out and issues a public statement clarifying, I am going to operate under the assumption that had Dirk Nowitzki went to college, uh, he would have been a Kansas Jayhawk. And I, I, it's cool to think about a Nowitzki jersey hanging in the rafters. Could you imagine number 41 up there in the rafters? I've never even heard awesome. rumors or stories that he even thought about going to American college before coming, going into the NBA. That's, that's wild. I've never even heard that before. That's right. So it would have been Dirk Nowitzki playing alongside Paul Pierce and Ray LaFrance, which many people already believe to be the most talented team in KU history and you add one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Yeah. There you go. So 
Uh, Dirk Nowitzki, officially an honorary Jayhawk. We have decided it here on your podcast. Yes. Thank you, Nick. I, I agree. And Dirk, if you want to dispute this, look, you've got the platform either here on the Believe in Jayhawk podcast or as well on the Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Nick, you're the man. I'll let you go choose where to spread your wares. Or, but you've also got a show coming up later tonight to prepare for. Hey, I, I heard there's a football game this weekend, so enjoy that. Hopefully you right. haven't gotten swept up in cheese fever too much. Do you have a pick? Would you like to spread your pick around? During the show, or are you going to lose in the basketball? I'm not going to pick against the Chiefs. I don't. I don't have an exact score picked out yet. But I mean, come on, man! It's the first Super Bowl of my lifetime. You think I'm going to pick the other team? Maybe. You're a heady guy. No, <laughs> no, not in this case. See, I'm a heady guy when it comes to KU, but when it comes to the Chiefs, my fandom has been unaltered. It has been. Um, it is as pure as it was the, the first time. I watched a Chiefs game probably with Elvis Gerbach at quarterback and the product I'm watching now is a little bit more appealing. And so I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon. I am as diehard of a Chiefs fan as many people listening to this are KU fans. So I'm going Chiefs all the way, baby. Hey, that Mahomes guy, he's no Tyler Thigpen. So I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Nick. Might be onto something. Appreciate it, man. We'll have to get you back on throughout the year and moving forward, especially as we head towards the tournament. Really appreciate it. You're the best. Sounds good. Anytime, Jonas. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Good stuff there from Nick. Really good stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to bring him back in as the season winds down, as we're getting close to the tournament. Really knows his stuff. You could hear it. So thank you to Nick. First ever guest. I think that's enough to say maybe best friend of the show. Well, right now, only friend of the show. But that was Nick Short, 1320KLWN. Listen to him. He, he clearly knows what he's talking about. So we, we've got a little bit of time here. Let's just do a quick little preview of what's to come this weekend. Kansas will be hosting Texas Tech, one of the two teams that won the Big 12 last year. We don't have to talk about the other one, but Texas Tech, a team that went to the championship game, lost a really close game to Virginia, of course, then lost Jarrett Culver. This is a team that's now not ranked they're better than their record. Took Kentucky to overtime, albeit at home. <coughs> Excuse me. Albeit at home in Lubbock. So they lost that game to Kentucky. But they have Jemias Ramsey, a really talented player. They have Chris Beard, the head coach, who's building an amazing program. Albeit, he doesn't have a beard, and his name's Chris Beard, for whatever that's worth. But this is a solid team. They're prepared. Great defensively. Now, this is a tough week for Texas Tech. As I'm sitting here recording this on Wednesday, they are hosting a pretty big game tonight against West Virginia. So maybe West Virginia can beat them up a little bit physically. Oscar Schwebe down low will make things difficult for Texas Tech. And uh, maybe they'll be looking ahead to the Kansas game, but it's in the field house. I like KU's chances. Uh, they haven't released the line on it quite yet, but not that I promote gambling. It should be a really good game. Texas Tech takes nothing for granted. And they're probably the toughest team in the conference, maybe outside of West Virginia. But this has been the Believe in Jayhawk show. Again, I am humbly just Jonas Nordman. I, I do appreciate you listening. Uh, subscribe, recommend. If you have Jayhawk friends out there in Jayhawk Nation, recommend the show. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Send me your comments. Send me your thoughts, your questions. And I look forward to speaking with you next week after what should be a really good game against the Red Raiders. As always, rock chalk. Enjoy the football game on Sunday.
I'm not going to make a pick. This is a college basketball. This is a college athletic show. Uh, but it should be a really good game. Take care, everybody. <laughs>